Okay, time to spend some time in Scripture. I always love this part of the service. And believe it or not, we are actually going back to the Gospel of John. Yes, I know it has been several months since we've been in the midst of that because of the holiday season, and we want to make sure that we enjoy that fully. But we're back to the Gospel of John, and we are in the 10th chapter. So let me invite you to grab your Bibles, uh, whether you've got it right in front of you, grab your phone, um, pause this, the tape if you need to to go uh, look, whatever you might need to do, um, grab that Bible so that it's available for you. We're going to be looking at the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we're going to today be looking at this a question of just who is Jesus? Just who is Jesus? You know, um, there are a lot of different thoughts and opinions about who Jesus is in our world today. Now, uh, there's almost a universal uh, like and appreciation of Jesus. He's a great guy, has a wonderful smile, was kind, compassionate. Um, almost throughout the world, regardless of the, the faith or religion, people have a positive impression of Jesus. Um, but there's quite a varied opinion on who he, he was, who he is. Uh, for some, even of different faiths, they consider him maybe a prophet or a great teacher, a man of enlightenment. Um, but that's not the case um, for the vast majority of the people. Though they still have a positive outlook of him, and though they hold him in high esteem, they don't consider him the Son of God. They don't consider him divine. They don't believe that he uh, came to this earth, lived among us, died on a cross, was resurrected uh, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So who do these folks then think Jesus is? Or uh, maybe some folks in your life, maybe family members, or maybe neighbors or co-workers, individuals who probably know the name of Jesus, um, but really haven't thought, or if they have thought, I don't think that he falls into this category of the, the Son of God. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today as we spend uh, some time in uh, the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 22 through 33. So flip open to that, keep your finger at that place. And the hope is that we'll gain a deeper and better understanding of who Jesus is based on what he said and based on what he did in order to, to prove and substantiate his identity. Uh, Jesus taught us plainly that that he's God. But if we don't have a, a good uh, kind of cultural, historic understanding of that, we might miss that. And so we're going to spend some time looking at that today as well. Okay, uh, our text is John 10, verses 22 through 33. So uh, let's follow along and see what uh, we have to read in that today. Beginning with that 22nd verse. Then came the festival of the dedication of Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, then tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand either. I and the Father are one. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. 
For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Claim to be God. Well, as we look at the text for today, uh, we're struck in the first few verses of, of just some background. We know that it's wintertime. The text tells us that. We know that it's Hanukkah season. Uh, that's the same thing as the festival of dedication. Now, it doesn't tell us where the, Jesus spun the dreidel. We're not uh, familiar with whether that happened. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But, uh, but it was a special time for uh, the Jews gathered there at that place. Uh, the text tells us he'd been in the temple courts teaching, and then if you look at the previous verses, he'd been talking about sheep uh, as an analogous to the people of God and of the Good Shepherd, of course, which was him. But on this day, he's confronted initially by that very distinct question, pointed question, who are you really? And it's a question that people really have been asking ever since. Uh, some people continue to, to uh, again, um, have doubts about the divinity of Jesus because they claim that, that Jesus never really said specifically that he was the Messiah. And, and we gain a sense of that frustration in the 24th verse of our text for today where it said this. One of the Jews pointed out or raised the question, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. You know, it's interesting that Jesus does not ever say that statement, I am the Messiah. Of course, he never says, I'm a prophet. He never says, I'm a man um, either. And we know those things are true. But it's a question that we need to, I think, wrestle with a little bit. Why was it that, that Jesus didn't raise that, that point? Why isn't that Jesus answered that question specifically? Because he tells us that, that he did answer them. He did speak to this issue. So where is the confusion in all of this? Jesus stated, as we look to the context of today's verse, that, uh, that he had told them who he was, but they didn't believe him because they didn't know who he was, that, um, that they were not a part of Jesus' flock, as he worded it, and, and that because they didn't belong to him, they then didn't believe. In other words, what we see is that they had already dismissed Jesus, and, and thus because they sort of written him off, uh, they didn't have open minds about who he was or who he said that he was. Uh, we live in a world today where we find that, find that happening more and more, don't we? Uh, people just sort of ride off individuals and then uh, don't take any uh, stock or give any merit to what it might be that they say, re regardless of the, the occupation or level of authority that they might have. And so it doesn't matter whether uh, the, the person is an expert in this or in that. We just refuse to believe, whether they're doctors or, or politicians or police officers or ministers or judges or, or scientists. For too many people, they've already rejected those people, and thus they reject everything that they have to say. In Jesus' time, there were some that had accepted what he had to say, but there were also many who had rejected who he was as well. But going back to the question, still, why doesn't Jesus answer the question uh, whether he's the Messiah? And I think there's really two parts uh, to that question, two answers to that question. One is speculation on my part. One, Jesus answers pretty specifically. And the first part, the speculation is, and it's not in Scripture, just my best guesstimate, is that Jesus realized that, that if he was to make that bold, clear of a statement, that there would be three consequences that came from that. Uh, one of those would be that there would be some choose, Jews that would choose to follow him simply because he took on the label of Messiah. 
They wouldn't be uh, concerned about what he taught, uh, what he modeled, how he lived his life. Just because he wore that label, uh, they would follow him. And Jesus, that's not why he was here. He was trying to lay a foundation for his people to follow uh, because he knew that his time on this earth was limited. Second reason is that Jesus knew that while some would maybe accept that, others uh, would reject that. Um, as we read in the text, uh, would consider it blasphemous for Jesus to have made that accusation. And because of that, they would be even more determined uh, to put him to death. Now, Jesus knew that a part of the plan of the Father was for him to have to sacrifice his life, but there was a specific timetable for that. And if that happened too soon, then again, the things that Jesus had come to do, teach, mentor, um, model in his life force would not have been able to have been fulfilled. And then thirdly, I think there would have been a similar kind of, of impact based on the Roman culture. You see, the Romans had a, almost a paranoia about insurrection and revolution coming up. They'd had to deal with it many times in that part of the country. And so if they heard that Jesus was making this declaration, at the very best, they would have imprisoned him, probably more likely they would have put him to death. That was sort of the, the model they worked on just to make sure that there wasn't any risk of any kind of resolution or revolution coming out of that. So that's, uh, I think, part of what may have been in Jesus' mind. But, but Jesus didn't say the specific words also because he knew the, those who were asking him had already rejected him. Jesus had that ability as God to, to know the hearts as well as the words that they said. And we know that from Scripture that faith starts with the premise that God is who he says he is. So knowing Christ has to start with an open heart. In the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 6th verse, we read this. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If we don't believe who he is, then we're not going to believe um, that he came to do what we know that he uh, came to this earth for. If we don't approach Jesus with an open heart, um, then we're never going to accept the words or the teachings that he gives to us. And as we uh, look in this a little, a little bit more deeply, we look to see what it is that, that Jesus did have to say to us. Again, remember, he said, I did tell you, I did show you those things. So what is it that Jesus did say? And I've sort of labeled this as uh, two questions for seekers, for those who, who really are, are trying to determine and, and want to know who God is. The first part of that is they have to ask themselves the question, are they really open to believing that Jesus is who he said he is? Uh, if they're not, then it really kind of brings everything to a standstill at, the point, at that point. If they're not open to accepting who Jesus might proclaim that he is, then, then it's pretty much the end of the discussion. Uh, you can continue to pray for them. You uh, can continue to um, have a, a love, a godly love for, for them, but it's probably time to move on because no matter what you say, that, that wall has already been put up in their hearts and in their minds. And who was it that Jesus did say that he was? Well, uh, Jesus claimed, in essence, to be God. Uh, in fact, pretty directly said that. If we look again to that 10th chapter in verses 25 through 27 once more, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, 
and I know them and they follow me. Jesus pointed out here that, that not only had he told them uh, things that would, would bear witness to him, but he'd also shown them things uh, to that end as well. And so let's look at those two categories for just a second. Uh, the, the words and the works that Jesus gave to us to, to prove, to solidify um, who it was that he claimed to be. We begin with that idea of Jesus' words. You know, sometimes it's difficult for us to understand the, the meaning of something if we don't understand the culture or the context in which it has been uh, presented. Let me give you an example. Suppose you're in, in the Midwest and uh, there's a gentleman that's uh, been arrested. He's in court uh, because he has swindled a bunch of people out of uh, their life savings. And so as the, the trial goes on, they bring a witness up and put that witness on the witness stand. And the prosecutor asks this individual uh, something like, do you, based on your past experience, do you think the accused ever had any intention of returning these people's money that he had taken? Um, and the witness replies with these words, yeah, sure he is, like when hell freezes over and pigs fly. Now, he hasn't categorically stated no, but is there any doubt about what this witness is saying? Is there any ambiguity there? No. Uh, that's very clear on what the witness is conveying at that point. There's no chance whatsoever. Would make perfect sense to people in, in the Midwest, people who knew pigs, uh, probably people who had some kind of, a little bit of religious background. But for those that didn't, if they were from another country, uh, maybe from the big city, uh, perhaps that would not make sense. You needed the, the culture, you needed the context in order uh, to fully understand what's being said in that setting. And the same thing is true as we look at, at Jesus' response to, to questions that were presented to him here. For example, one of the things that he said in verse 30 was, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. Now, the word one here had a very powerful meaning in the Jewish culture. Uh, it comes in the Greek form. It's uh, the word hen, and it means one in essence or in nature, basically the, the same thing, one and another. And so when Jesus is saying that he's one with the Father, he's meaning that there really are one. They're, they're a singular kind of essence there. And people would have understood that based on teachings that they would have had from synagogue and other places that, that come out of probably the most sacred verse that they have in the Old Testament. It's from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse, sometimes called the Shema, which says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Another verse they would have been familiar with comes from a, a prophetic text taken out of the book of Zechariah, the, the 14th chapter. It says, the Lord, speaking here about the Messiah yet to come, shall be king over all of the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name is one. Again, we see this strong emphasis on this idea of one. So when Jesus is talking about being one, they would have understood, as Jesus under, uh, clearly intended in this, that he was declaring himself to be one with the Father. Uh, and how do we know that that's what the people understood? Well, because they wanted to uh, put him to death by stoning. In verse 33, we're not stoning you for any good work, they reply, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claimed to be God. The Jews in that day clearly understood what Jesus was declaring. There wasn't any uncertainty, any ambiguity there. They fully grasped what it is that he was saying to them. 
And we see the same idea conveyed in other conversations that Jesus had with the Jewish people in, in that area. In the eighth chapter of uh, John, we read where Jesus here is talking to the, the people about um, some of their, their heritage and so forth. And he says to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am and what happens? Well, the same thing happens. They took up stones to throw at him. Now, why did they do that? Again, because they understood that that, uh, that statement, I am, had deep roots to what uh, is associated only with God. Uh, if we go to the, the book of Exodus, the third chapter um, and the 14th verse, Moses here is having an encounter with God, the first real encounter um, with God at the burning bush. And there's some dialogue. God wants Moses to go and lead his people. Uh, Moses says, well, how are they going to know that I've really been sent by you? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, it's interesting, just as a little side note here in the background of, of, of God's name, prior to this event, uh, God was known by a title, not by a personal name. His title that he would have been known for was, was Elohim, um, or perhaps um, El Shaddai, the, the mountain of God, um, or the, the mighty God, um, sometimes what he was, was labeled by. But, but at this particular moment, God did something extraordinary. He revealed his name. Now, in Old Testament times, to know somebody's name was a pretty significant step in a relationship because names had meaning that went behind them. It wasn't just a, a label that sounded good or because the initials uh, made a, a fun acronym in your family. Um, the names really described the individual. And so you revealed something about yourself, something that people could potentially abuse or misuse. So when God said, I am, he's, he's really taking a big step in revealing his name uh, to his people. And because of that, it was something that was considered incredibly sacred, something holy, so much so that when Jewish writers or, or scholars would, would put down what it was that God had said, they wouldn't put down his name. Uh, they would use initials, Y-H-W-H, um, and, and leave out the vowels that would make that name complete. They just wouldn't put it down. In fact, sometimes they would even leave a blank. When they were reading it in the synagogue as a part of, of the text, when they got to that place, they wouldn't say Yahweh. They would say Adonai as a replacement for that. Now, uh, when we look to the Christian Bible, uh, we find that there's not quite that sense, same sense of, of reverence. Um, and so sometimes uh, you will see the, the name Yahweh. But more often than not, as a way of acknowledging um, the uniqueness, the holiness of God's name. If you look to your text, you'll see that it's, it's uh, caps, but all in little letters probably bolded. Probably say Lord in little text is a way of indicating that. And so we see with this uh, saying of Jesus, I am, uh, or comparing himself with God as being the one, that there was clear understanding by the people in that day of age of who it was that Jesus was declaring himself to be. But it's not just the words of Jesus that carried a significance. It was also the works of Jesus. You see, Jesus performed miracles as a way of bearing testimony, of giving a credence and credentials to who it was that he claimed to be as God. Now, that's 
typically not the, the case today when we see people do fancy things often it's it's in order to, to draw a crowd um, if you watch TV at all if you've got a Netflix subscription uh, there's a, a great program um, called magic for humans it's done by a magician who's named Justin Wilman and if you've never seen it he does some magic tricks that just leave you scratching your head you don't know how he can possibly uh, pull that off but he does that in order to be an entertainer he does that in order to make some money Jesus didn't do it for that reason. He wasn't seeking to be a celebrity. He wasn't uh, seeking to, uh, to draw huge crowds just so that uh, he could get, draw attention to himself. He did it in order to teach them. He did that in order um, to declare, to give, uh, to give proofs that he was who he said he was. We see a great example of this in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter in verses 2 through 5. It speaks of John the Baptist who had gone before Jesus, if you remember, kind of preparing the way for him. He's been put in prison at this point. And as we pick up the text there in the second verse, we read this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. How did he say that they would know that Jesus was in fact who he said he was? Well, he said, look and listen. You need to do both of those. But when it comes to actually... Um, enumerating on those, most of the stuff he talks about are things that he did. And then he wraps up by saying, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. The actual acts that Jesus engaged in, the miracles that he performed, uh, were, were a bold declaration that he was uh, the Messiah, that he was uh, who he claimed to be. And it's, it's something that had been foretold really back in, in Old Testament times. We look at, uh, say, a prophetic psalm such as we find in 107, 29. It talks about this coming one, this chosen one of God, and it says he calms the storm so that its waves are still. If you've been in Sunday school, does that remind you of a, of a story that you've read? This idea of, of the words and the deeds of Jesus clearly indicate to any who had open minds that Jesus was proclaiming that he was God. And uh, the title that Jesus often used, um, while he didn't use the title Messiah, um, was there was that reference, that understanding that, that he was the, the Son of God. We see that throughout Scripture. Again, we go back to the book of, of Hebrews, and it says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his one powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of, in heaven. Clearly, that could only be talking here about Jesus. Uh, we go to uh, the Gospel of John, and we see it worded in a little bit different way. In John, the first chapter, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And then it goes on, if you go down to the 14th verse, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Folks, when people say that Jesus didn't claim to be the Messiah, that he didn't declare that he was God, they could not be farther from the truth. Jesus declared that, made that apparent time and time and time again. 
He, he in fact, introduced that, that idea that, that God is, is something that was different than people had understood in a, uh, a succinct way by, by really introducing that idea, that concept of, of the Trinity, a one God revealed in three persons. Uh, if you go to scripture, we are, are uh, revealed that or, or told of that as we look to Jesus' final instructions just before he returned uh, to the Father's presence. In Matthew 28, 19, uh, we read those words, uh, Go therefore, Jesus speaking here, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Now, I know that's a difficult concept. It continues to be a challenging concept for us to grasp even today. One of the, the best illustrations I've seen of that is, is to think of a, of a beam of light. And if you put it through a prism, if you remember from your, your days in school, and I'm sure you did this, you put that beam of light through a prism and it, it spreads out and you get three dominant colors that come as a result of that. You see the, the red and the green and the blue. One beam of light revealed in three different colors. One God revealed there for us in three different persons. In fact, interestingly, the scripture says in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so what we see is that Jesus has been very clear about saying who he is for those that have ears to hear, for those that have eyes to see, for those whose hearts are open uh, to be willing to, to consider the possibility of who Jesus declares himself to be. Uh, this, oh, this one Jesus uh, came to this earth, wrapped himself in humanity, um, uh, became flesh, as the word says. And he came as the, the son to die for all of humanity and, and thus to be able to arise victorious over the power of sin and of death themselves. The perfect God came to this imperfect world in order to teach and to mentor and to model for us uh, those things that, that help us to live the lights of righteousness that he calls us to. Uh, to see displayed for us, to live out God's grace and his compassion, his mercy, his love. That we might be individuals who could follow in his footsteps. And as again we look to this, uh, this one Jesus who came to this, this world, he came so that ultimately he might give his life as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins, for our sins. Why? So that we might have life and might have life eternal. Or as uh, the text tells us in John 1.12, he did it uh, so that all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he would give the right to become children of God. Sons and daughters of the Most High. And so folks, I hope you understand. And if you have others who wonder about Jesus, uh, who Jesus was, that you can tell them. He was a kind man, but not just a kind man. He was a man of a light and a, and, a, and a prophet and a wise teacher. But he was so much more than that. He was God himself. Come to this world. That through him, as we look and live out the life he calls us to, that we might be um, individuals who know what eternity holds for us. That dwelling in heaven that is there for each and every follower of his. That dwelling that's there today and tomorrow and forever. Amen.